Hello friends, this is Casey here. In this episode, we dive into some heavy topics, including PTSD, aircraft failure, and descriptions of traumatic events resulting in death and injury. A full list of content warnings, as well as timestamps, are included in the episode description. Please take care of yourselves, and thank you for listening to On Public Square. Hello and welcome to On Public Square, a City of Clarksville podcast where we get to know the amazing city employees that keep the lights on. They're our friends, our family, and our neighbors, and each one of them has a story to tell. Now, let's say hello. again to On Public Square. I'm here, uh, Casey Williams, as always, with Jimmy Settle, and Hello. our next guest, uh, Joshua Forbes, who's just recently uh, taken up the role of wellness counselor over at Clarksville Police Department. Josh has uh, been all over the place where, uh, as a uh, member of the armed services, uh, done a lot of charity work, both here and uh, quite a ways around the world, too, and now is helping our officers stay healthy, both uh, mentally and physically. Um, well, glad to meet you, Josh. Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm excited to figure out what we're doing here and share my story. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I was born and raised in Decatur, Illinois. Turned 18, knew I didn't want to stay in that hometown perception anymore, so I joined the Army. Two days later, I was off to basic training. Um, ended up loving it and decided to make a career out of it. I did a tour in Bosnia. In 97 to 98, and I was in Kosovo when 9-11, or 9-11. Yeah, 9-11 happened. I don't know why I was trying to think 2001, but when 9-11 happened, um, didn't really feel 9-11 because I was deployed, if that makes sense. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, we, we felt it, but we didn't feel it. Right. Um, re-enlisted while I was over there. So I knew at some point, ironically, there would be a war to go to. Um, deployed in 03 from here at Fort Campbell, and then I was injured later on that year, November 15th of 2003. Um Went through some recovery stuff, mental, physically, um, and I spent 12 more years in the Army doing a variety of jobs. Um, and then I retired and was like, hey, I, I'm just kind of mentoring folks. Let me go back to school to get a degree and do it officially. And so here I am, a licensed master social worker. Yeah. Wonderful. Where'd you uh, earn your degree at? Austin P. There we go. Go Govs. <laughs> Love it. So when you were at Fort Campbell, which division, 101st? Or? Yes, I was with the 101st Airborne Division. I was a Comanche Battery, 1st of the 320th Fifth Artillery Regiment, uh, which supports 2nd Brigade. Mm-hmm. It just because it has to be opposite numbers for some reason, just confuse folk. Right. <laughs> what, what kind of kept you here um, in this community? Which time? Um, <laughs> so um, I got here in September of 99. Deployed to Kosovo, like I said, in 01. And then it was time for reenlistment, the war, because I had thought about getting out at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done six years at that point. I had done enough time, if that makes sense, go back and go to school, be that proverbial college jock that I always wanted to be that wasn't going to pan out anyway. That's besides the point. We don't have enough time for that conversation. <laughs> um, and then Iraq happened and I was injured. And it be kind of, at that time, it was a comfort. Just kind of, I was here, I had some folks taking care of me. Um, I tried to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, it was nice uh, having General Petraeus as my commander at the time. Mm-hmm. It kind of helped influence what the Army was going to plan to do with me. And I kind of got my life figured out. Um, and then some job opportunities, job opportunities opened up here on Fort Campbell. And then, I mean, this is home. Um, you know, even when I went to Longstool, Germany for those four years, um, I, this is home. So when mm-hmm. I retired, I knew I was coming back here. It's just this is home. But you you said earlier that you sort of had this natural inclination to want to help other people, help help them through situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what why do you think that is? Why do you think you have sort of a, a intuitive uh, thing with with other folks and their and their and their concerns and their needs? That is a great question. I guess you have to read one of my papers I wrote in college. No. Um, <laughs> I've always been a people person, even though I will refute that and deny that all day, every day. I've always been a people person. Um, 
just don't like folks to feel like they're going through things alone. Um, you know, as a child, we've all had our childhood experiences, positively and negatively. It was not the worst childhood by any means, but it wasn't the best either. Mm. Um, you know, I just didn't want people to feel like they were going through the things alone. Um, and I've always loved to train people and get in their heads. And I'm a big puzzle person. I love crossword puzzles. Like, how do you figure things out? Um, I love taking the little blurry individual jigsaw pieces mm. and be able to look at it. And it's essentially what therapy is too. You give me all these little pieces. I put them together and this is the picture. That's what I'm seeing. Mm. And kind of the same thing. How do you get 60 people to do the same thing, the exact same way using 60 different ways to explain it to everybody because everybody understands things differently. And it really kind of got started after I was injured and I was in the hospital. Um, another wounded service member from here at Fort Campbell, Jared Martinez. Um, he was the one that was on Dancing with the Stars um, in 2012, plus or minus. Um, he's been on All My Children. You know, he was injured about seven months before me, if I'm not mistaken. He was injured, uh, let's say, seven months before. He was injured like April 8th of 03, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and at that point, you know, he was just the first other burn person I'd met on the face, a uh, soldier from Fort Campbell, all those stars aligned and you know with a pretty frank language he was like i am who i am you know like mm -hmm. i don't let that affect me mm -hmm. and that day i looked in the mirror for the first time saw me it distorted me but you know i was like wow like okay and he was just walking around the hospital hanging out with folks i was like i want to do that with him mm -hmm. um and you just fast forward and it kind of slowly creeped along throughout the time and I came back here to my unit for a couple of years and I did a rear detachment in 2005 and 2006. And we unfortunately took a couple of casualties, a couple of wounded. And I had thought that I was done with the military at that point. And, you know, luckily they found some other places um, for me to go and some other jobs and things like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but it just all that given back. And I, I it kind of felt that it was just healing myself through healing others. Is kind of how I explained it. Um, because if I'm trying to help somebody, hey, I've been through a similar situation. How did I get past that? This is how I did it. This is how some of my buddies did it. This is how some of my friends did it. I've heard about this way. Um, how do I just, and it goes back into that critical thinking, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, like, how do I help somebody get past this? And I love it. Um, and I've always said, if the way I look with my the burns to my face and head can help somebody else out, so be it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, I felt like I was going through a lot of things alone in late 2003, early 2004, before these mm -hmm. programs stood up for wounded service members. Um, and we joke about it, but we kind of were trying to take care of each other. JR was doing it, mm -hmm. I started doing it. Programs came, but there's still that, that people interaction. Um, you never know where help is gonna come from, what therapy is gonna come from. Right. But there's a certain point, unless you've been through something similar, you can't really mm -hmm. relate. You can't really empathize. Well, you can empathize, but you can't really relate. And when you tell your story, um, and it goes to anything, um, if people don't have an understanding, just say you go back home, Casey, and you're trying to explain to your parents about podcasts and social media and this and that. If they're not aware of it, they just... They have a bunch of questions and you have to explain what this acronym for this microphone, you know, just whatever it is. And it starts losing the luster of the story. Mm -hmm. And by the time 20 minutes later, when you to the point of the story, you just, you're done talking. You don't want to talk about it anymore. If there's a joke involved, you don't want to do it. You just, mm -hmm. you give up. And so with that, there's a certain point where having those experiences help. And so with me having gone through some, trauma in my life and being there essentially where those guys and gals were too. I could explain to them, hey, this is what's going on. And I don't know, I could rabble about this all day. I love the, I love just trying to help other folks out, honestly. And you mentioned uh, being injured while in the Army. Um, <clears throat> uh, I believe in 2003 you were involved in a helicopter crash, correct? correct. Which resulted in burns, and I believe. Correct. Mm -hmm. I, I, you, there's nothing that I won't answer. Like, oh, I, sure, sure. So, um, November 15, 2003, I was on an aerial quick reaction force mission, relatively frequent mission we had where we would just essentially fly over Mosul, mm -hmm. Iraq, and look for bad guys, look for this and that. And if there's something on the ground, we'd come provide eyes and support from the top. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a helicopter can be there in two minutes where it takes Humvees how long, essentially. Um, that's a really quick version of what we did. Um, we were flying around and reacted to something. Another aircraft from another battalion was taking people to the airport. Mm-hmm. And just weird how Murphy, um, Murphy's off. You guys don't understand that. <laughs> Whatever can and will go wrong does. We were close to the approach path for the airfield. They shot an RPG at us, and it kind of goes blank after that, from what I'm told. Um, it hit the other helicopter, missed us, and when it spun out of control, it came and took our tow roller off, and we crashed, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the lucky or blessed five survivors, however you look at out of the 22. Um, I suffered third and fourth degree burns, which I didn't know there was such a thing as a fourth degree burn until I got burned. I didn't know that either. It's when you burn bone or tendon. Um, oh, yeah. So, actually... Burnt the outer layer of skull. Um, ironically, I'm only 11.5% burned. It just happens to be where it got me. I, um, I had some broken bones and severe smoke inhalation. Um, I was um, medevaced quite rapidly from downrange. I think the high visibility of that incident helped. Um, the burn center in San Antonio has this um, special critical care air uh, transport team Mm -hmm. first burn specific. They were already in Germany picking people up. And so when the crash was on CNN, my doctor was like, Hey, we're not leaving because we got more folks coming in. So from my point of incident in Iraq, um, in about 36 hours, I was from there all the way to San Antonio. Uh Um, so I got extremely lucky as far as that goes. I spent two months intubated and medically induced coma. Um, and when I woke up, uh, it's kind of a blur, you know, minute to minute, hour to hour, week to week is all kind of a blur in the sure. beginning, um, which is part of the healing process. But, um, you know, it was just a, a lot of a lot of surgeries and a lot of recovery and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of stuff to go through sure. mentally and physically. So, I mean, right, mm-hmm. right, right. So officers who might listen to this, uh, definitely Josh, who's new to your office here, been a little while. Uh, Definitely someone great to talk to who's can walk the walk too and has done a lot of that. And and that's I'm trying to think how to say this. Sure. That's part of I think how and part of my appeal, and I guess that's probably the best way to put it, is fortunately slash unfortunately, I've received and sent fire with other folks before. Um there's been some things that I've gone through that are quite similar to what they do, mm-hmm. different from the federal deployment level versus local community, but those really aren't too far apart. Mm-hmm. The moral wounds is the nice way they like to call it. Like, did I make the right decision in this? You know, what if, what if, what if, what if? You know, if I take this person here, how's the family affected? Is it something I can do this for? Should I? Mm-hmm. You know? And so what if games you play? And that's where we all get into trouble. Trouble. Sure. As we start playing the game and following the rabbit down the hole and no matter what, it always comes back to the same ending. It's just we have to play all these games in our brain and half of it is just articulating, talking about it with what's going on in your head, whether I answer or not, whether you, I'm talking to you about it, whether you answer or not, it's just actually hearing yourself talk about it. And most of the time you figure it out yourself. You're like, wow, I don't know why did I keep this all bottled up? When I figured it out once I talked about it out loud, but in your head, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when you say it out loud, you're like, well, that's that's how I sound. First time you hear yourself yeah. on the radio, you're like, that's how I sound. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely get that. Having done a lot of recording, I can't stand my own voice. Um, you are uh, you mentioned briefly being at uh, Landstuhl in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reading an article from military uh, or uh, army.mil. Uh, that was published uh, when you left uh, Landstuhl. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I saying that right? Landstuhl. Landstuhl. It's all right. You just you, you put the American twine on it. <laughs> but this was uh, written, it looks like around the time you were leaving there, and it mentions a lot about uh, Fisher House. And I was wondering if you could tell us what that is. <sighs> the, the Fisher Houses were initially stood up, um, the Army ones, by Zachary and Elizabeth Fisher. They're all started by Zachary and Elizabeth Fisher. Um, but the Army ones were started in 1991. At Forest Glen in uh, Washington, D.C. It was just this little, it was essentially a uh, medical warehouse for Walter Reed there. And it was just stood up um, for 
retirees and folks that were going undergoing cancer treatments, whatever it is, essentially a military version of the Ronald McDonald House. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there were a the few, and I don't want to, I probably can't remember all of the things, but, um, you know, there was quite a few stood up across the nation at some of the bigger hospitals, uh, Fort Sam Houston, you know, uh, Camp Balboa and Camp Pendleton out in San Diego um, for reasons. But then when the global war on terrorism started, so many folks were coming back injured. Um, I don't think we realized big picture as a nation, how far battlefield medicine had come in the 12 years since the Gulf war. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were taking a lot more. And so they saw um, the need for it and I can't remember off the top of my head, but they built a lot of them with their own money in the beginning. Mm. And then they started taking on uh, sponsors and other folks. Um, uh, uh, They assist with housing for family members, friends, whatever, so they don't have to spend money. Um, It's a family environment. It also does some occupational therapy because if you're actually there as a service member, it forces you to get out. There's a community kitchen it forces you to have interaction with other people. There's so many hidden meanings behind it and things that just don't really um, go along. And I know they helped my wife, who was my fiance at the time, and my mom. They helped them out tremendously. And it was a great organization. I tried to uh, help back as much as I could. But when they built one here at Fort Campbell, I believed it was open June of 2007, I want to say. I might be wrong about that one. Um, but when they opened it here, um, maybe it was 2006, just trying to get my timeline right in my head. Sure. But anyway, um, it might've been, I think it was June of 2006, might've been D-Day of 2006. Anyway, um, when they opened it, I knew exactly like what I had to do. Cause I was one of the few folks at that time, if you will, that had any involvement with a fish house. And so I got involved here to donate as much of that time as I could mm. get the awareness out. Um, and it became a meeting place. We used to have Thursday luncheons there um, for everybody to get together and kind of talk about what they're going through, what they're not going through, um, mm-hmm. places to go in town, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, overall mentor camaraderie. Sure. Kind of a networking. Yeah, networking was a good yeah. word to use right I'll, there. And I'll put the link to the local Fisher House if they have a website or something. I'll link if people listening, if that's something that sounds like you might could find some help there. Uh, I'll try to share any links in the description of this episode so that to help you find it. Um, one thing that really stood out in this military uh, army.mil article mm-hmm. <clears throat> that <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> one thing that stood out in this article to me uh, in particular was several times in here. Uh, it references uh, that you stressed the importance of humor in recovery and being able to have some levity uh, in uh, approaching the healing process. Uh, growing up, I was fascinated by Patch Adams. I always found uh, it fascinating, the importance of humor and just of, um, I guess, morale and, and uh, sort of emotional health in the healing process. And that sounds like something that perhaps uh, you've explored as well. And I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about the importance of emotional health, humor. Everybody has their own coping strategies, techniques, whatever. I, I just really, everybody feels better when they laugh. It just makes you feel great. There's a certain point we have to be able to laugh at yourself too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a certain point also where laughter, dark humor becomes a masking kind of thing. And I, I know the difference in those, but some people don't. Um, however, Life is too short, and unfortunately, in the military and law enforcement and other first responders, there's too much serious stuff that happens. And I don't want to say you become numb to it. You don't want to call it normalized, but those are words that are thrown around. You have to find a way to cope. Um, Obviously, talking about it is one thing, but at the same time, when you see things for the first time that you've read about, you've seen, even you might've watched a documentary, whatever it is, um, to see it in real life for the first time mm. changes you. Um, and it's just one of those, 
you've got to laugh about it because if you don't laugh, you're going to cause yourself undue stress. Um, once again, there's a point where it becomes masking and it's not healthy. Right. But tell us some jokes and I'm the first one to tell a burn joke and that's fine. Um, some people find it offensive. Some people don't. Some people don't know whether to laugh or not. I usually say, you know, disclaimer, please laugh. But at the same time, um, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what all this goes into. You have to laugh. You have to tell jokes. you got to be happy. And if you find three or four folks you can be truly happy with or be around and joke, it's, you're good. That's the key. Right. Um, I probably joke way more than I should. But at the same time. Like that's just part of who I am. I have if I'm laughing, I'm good. If I'm not laughing, I really have a problem. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not telling some kind of joke or quip or something, that's when you guys need to challenge me. Like, hey, what's going on with you today? Um, are you all right? Um, it's just you have to be able to laugh, and whether it's with friends. And I know once again, some people are like that's just sick. How can you laugh at that? I don't mean that in a bad way, but until you've lived through certain things and seen certain things, you just that's how it is, and that's why. Nurses, doctors, first responders, all these professions that deal with more serious stuff usually get a bad stereotype. It's, oh, they just think mm. they got a dark sense of humor and it's just, it's not funny. We're not laughing at the person. We're not mm. laughing at, at the situation per se. It's just something stupid happened in that moment, if mm. that makes sense that makes that situation funny. Mm-hmm. I, I had to been over to tie my shoe in the middle of a gunfight. I'm just, whatever it is, right, right. that's what's funny <laughs> about it. it. Mm-hmm. The situation is not funny. There's something in there. Right. It's just, and that's that, those are the things that people have to find and laugh about because it, those are funny. Mm-hmm. That's all. I've, uh, I've had court reporter friends who said similar things and that to me, that's like just hearing about things that happened, but I've had friends that, their job is sitting at court and watching and listening to trials of people who did terrible things and have, or allegedly did terrible things, I'll say. Uh, oh, yeah. good, good cover. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, have said similar, like sometimes you just, it, like they've come back to the office and just been like, I'm going to get a cup of tea and we're going to talk about what happened on my favorite sitcom last <laughs> night. And, yeah, even just going to Rex, so there's been days where I used to cover traffic mm-hmm. and going and seeing bad Rex and just seeing that, even that little bit. There's been days where I've just been like, I'm going to just go home for a minute. Yeah. yeah. Disassociating yourself is, once again, you got to make sure you have that white space on your calendar. Even if it's the day of cell phones everywhere, social media, 30 minutes would be optimal. Shut it down, mm-hmm. leave it where it's at. Mm-hmm. You got you got to unwind what's in your head. Even 15 minutes, five minutes, you got to at least disassociate yourself from, from whatever it is. It's okay. I'm good. I'm reset. Um, I'm a huge proponent of this code word system, if you will. If you have a significant other, spouse, whatever it is, you know, you can really only have about five code words per se because then they start getting one too many code words. But you and whoever it is have to sit down and have this conversation about what this word means. Just say, I had a bad day from work. You know, I'm coming home. And if I use this word, anybody can use this word, just not you. But if somebody uses the word and whatever, we're going to say, I don't want to say Tigger. We're going to say Tigger. <laughs> you know, human comedy. No, anyway, sorry. We're not good at impressions either. That's a rough <laughs> crowd in this place, too. <laughs> See, I told you, humor doesn't work for everybody. Um, so... But you come home and whoever's like, hey, how's your day? Tigger. (laughs) But right there, it stops. There's no more conversation. Mm -hmm. As long as you guys are, guys, proverbially, understand what that word means, then you're going to go change, take a shower, whatever it is. You're going to go unwind for 20 to 30 minutes. You can't let it go far past that because you still want some of the emotions raw in there. You just don't want the initial barrage of, how was your day? What's going on? And the same thing, if you come home and you're ready to talk and whoever is Tigger, you know what? All right, I'm going to still go do what I got to do. It's just one of those things. You need time to process what's Mm -hmm. going on outside of if you were in a car wreck and now you have to, or whatever, you went to a car wreck scene and now you had to drive home through traffic. The last thing you want to do is talk about the car wreck two minutes after you walk in the door Mm -hmm. because you just... You were driving the whole time. You're trying to process. It's 
driving in Clarksville can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So it's, anyway, don't have to be triggered by all means, but you just have to find whatever mm-hmm. it is and have that understanding. Communication. Um, I wish I could tap my foot. Somebody knows what's going on here. Communication is the key. And so as long as that awareness is there with whoever it is you go home, whoever your support network is, okay, I got my time. All right, let's go do this now. There's still time to process it later on, but you at least got that initial defensive mode out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, don't feel attacked as soon as you walked in the door. Like, yeah. And and so that's kind of where all this comes from. And it goes for anger. It goes for, did you take your medication today? Because the more words you put into a sentence, the more attitude that can be added mm-hmm. and or perceived from it. And so... We go with that one word. We know what it means. We've discussed what it means. Let's break contact. We'll come back in 20 or 30 minutes. And all right, now let's talk about the day. Right, but you, but right. you've had your moose all time. Goose, Fraba, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. Right. I have similar. I play uh, Dungeons and Dragons with friends and role, tabletop role-playing games where you make a character and get together and do storytelling. And there's been a big talk with that lately of people that play games sort of on a like meeting with strangers and getting together at the library level of having rules in place. Um, and my favorite is while playing, if we're doing something in game that the story is getting in a certain direction and you get uncomfortable, uh, one that I like, there's sometimes the people will give everyone a card. And if you put the card on the table, that means we're going to fast forward to the next thing. My personal favorite is I'll tell players, if you say uh, green light, uh, then we can move on with the situation. Yellow means, okay, we're going to kind of, move through this slowly or red means all right we're we're dropping this and moving to the next thing because it's uncomfortable similar it's mm-hmm. the same thing like as long as knowing what you need and want knowing what other people need and want and remember even 95.5 is a compromise mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a compromise um anyway. <laughs> yeah i want to ask you about uh, let's let's if you don't mind let's kind of move into the police department mm-hmm. now. yes um Police department gets uh, fast forward from all this that you've shared. Police department gets $175,000 grant to do something very groundbreaking that's not anywhere else in the state. Uh, And here we are. And then as Chief Crockerell put it to us, they uh, looked for a person to be the wellness counselor and and here you come and and there's just no competition. You're the guy. And... um, we wanted to make sure, as quoting him, we wanted to make sure we hired the right person for the job. It was a very competitive process. And uh, what he, and then I understand that there was maybe a ride along or something that you did with a police officer, which became sort of a defining moment in your selection for that. What, uh, can you can you talk about that a little bit? As far as the ride along, as far as, I mean, that, that and what process specifically does that matter? I guess, how'd you hear about the job? I I heard about the job because I my former boss is phenomenal. Uh, Mr. Moss at the Veterans Treatment Court is where I used to work. He was my boss. Great program. Um, phenomenal employees. Thank you. Phenomenal program, too, yes. Um, and I don't know how to say this without sticking my foot in my mouth, but it's rarer to have a boss who wants their employees to do better. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat that, but that's a reality of kind of where we live in anymore. And he sent me the link to the job and because he knew I was potentially looking at trying to find something more therapeutic and the fact it was a groundbreaking program, um, you know, things like that. And he sent it to me, uh, obviously uh, submitted my application. And I was talking to him throughout the whole process. The fact that he's a boss, a friend, confidant. Um, you know, I was talking to him during the interview um, process. They asked me a question at the end. I was ready for it, but I just didn't think it was going to come at the end. And I don't think I answered it correctly. And I called Mr. Moss after. And I was like, oh, he was like, if you don't get the job based on one question, you weren't going to get the job anyway. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Thanks for talking me off the proverbial ledge. Um, and then... I was called and said, hey, I have a second interview, um, but we'd like for you to do a ride-along with one of the officers. And I got a chance to ride along with Officer Strickland. Um, and we had a call where somebody was sleeping somewhere, shouldn't have been, um, and was like, hey, let's get up out of here. It was a 
transit person, homeless, if you will, but, you know, transit and gave them some options about, you know, some warming shelters because it was pretty cold um, that day. And I think it was supposed to be pretty cool the next couple of days. Um, and kind of saw what they did with a uh, trespasser, you know, and like, okay, this is, and we got back in the car and there was a call for, um, there was a, a victim who um, had either overdosed or there were some questions still in the air. Um, and ironically, I knew the victim, um, just which kind of added to the whole situation. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, the process went and officers strictly kept checking on me. And it, it's not that, you, once again, you get used to dead bodies. It's not, once again, it's not normalizing it, but fortunately, unfortunately, for once again, what I've kind of got myself into in this trauma world of therapy is, fortunately, I've seen a lot of folks and a lot of people I've known that have passed away. And, um, you know, I was at the scene and, you know, she kept checking on me and I was like, okay. And, you know, we had a conversation. We left there and we went by district one to have this conversation with other folks on her squad. And, you know, I, it kind of just spoke to me that day. Like, I think, I think this is really it. Like, I think this is the new calling. Um, I have so many similarities, you know, once again, the military and law enforcement parallel each other. A lot of the folks are former military and law enforcement. Um, but I could see the need even there, even the conversations that we had in the car that day, I could see the need and I could see where I have the potential with my background to really help out. Um, and then the second interview, obviously, I would say, obviously that's such a bad way. That's kind of cocky, but obviously cause I got the job, I hit it out of the park and chief, you know, kind of agrees with that with a statement too so i mean hey, there ain't nothing wrong with confidence <laughs> I'm, I'm all about quiet confidence because i do believe in karma the more cocky you are it's going to come back to bite you in the butt um that's just kind of my philosophy I, I do that because i'm a poor sport and luckily i realized that early in life that i probably should have which it was a little earlier but so I just don't talk crap because I know it's going to come back. <laughs> I get that. Impo- I get that imposter syndrome thing. So I got to I got to trick myself into being confident. Uh, that's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Did um, that answer your question? It, yeah. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, so so now tell tell us kind of what a typical day is like for you now uh, working, working with the police department and these folks that that are there. Well, we're still in the infancy infancy phases of this. Um, I mean, I'm a month and a half in, so we're still developing some of the the policies, um, getting things set up as far as my website. I guess a nice way to put it because there's going to be a link where folks can just schedule an appointment with me directly. Briefing everybody about you know my do's and don'ts and what I offer, what I don't offer. Um, you know, I have nothing to do with fit for duty evaluation. It has nothing to do with what I do. Um, a wellness counselor. What does that mean? Whatever you want it to be. Um, it's not a mental health assessment. I'm not here to give you a diagnosis. I have nothing to do with medications. I'm just here to be a sounding board. I'm here for whatever you need. Um, just support. Yeah, I'm just I'm here for them. And their families. I'm also here for the, you know, the the, the um, police department's families as well. So, I mean, I've had one reach out already, you know, mommy and daddy's acting this way when they come home. How do we help? How do I handle this? Like, how do I be supportive? You know, and mm-hmm. so it is a family job, even though one person's doing the job, you know, it, it, it affects the whole family every way. So right. them understanding on how to approach things and the same thing, code word, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. like, hey, how do I, how do I help support um, the best I can? Um, I've had walk-bys, um, walk-ins, if you will. And, you know, I luckily I have a fluid schedule um, for now. And I get frustrated. I understand. I get frustrated when folks cap therapy at 45 minutes or 50 minutes because if you're finding in that story i can't cut you off and say hey let's try to close this up we'll talk that might you might miss that moment and so luckily i have that where my appointments are scheduled further apart 
once again, in the future, it might change. Mm-hmm. But for now, I'm still going to try to keep them as far out as I can because if you're in that moment, I can't not let you be in that moment. Yeah. We might never not get that moment again. Right. right. You may never come to that point ever again. And so having that fluidity of being able to just sit there and talk. And also, therapy's not done in a four-walled room. You know what? Let's go have some coffee someplace. You want to rebuild a carburetor? Let's rebuild a carburetor together. I don't know how to do that, but I'm sure somebody does. Mm -hmm. Let's go play golf, whatever. I mean... I don't know. Well, that's a good point. I mean, it's yeah. not just talking, I guess, is it? It's it's doing whatever that person kind of wants to do to kind of help them process whatever it is they're dealing with. Mm. Is that, is that's, that fair? That is correct. And if you really think about even your coworkers, your best friends, you still have to this day. How did you become best friends? You didn't sit across from each other, kind of like we are now, or stare each other in the eye. And you were doing something. And so it's that just taking that feeling of judgment away. Whether it's not looking people in the eye, whatever it is, I could sit here and do a puzzle. Puzzles are phenomenal therapy, um, not just individual therapy, but you're looking for pieces to a puzzle and you're sitting there talking. It's just you're not looking at somebody in the eye. Um, mm-hmm. It's so weird how that happens. I have a therapist, I get uneasy when they're like, hey, what's your name? Josh. And they start writing. Mm-hmm. And they're still writing. <laughs> yeah. And they're still writing somewhere. I'm like, it's J-O-S-H. I'm like, it's not take that long. What do you write? I know what, well, let me rephrase that. I assume what they're writing down. However, it's still uneasy for me, you know? And once again, it's just taking that feeling of judgment. Yes, I'm there to assess, quote, unquote. But how do we get that? And past that feeling of judgment? And, you know, you have all these things, meet where the client is, all these fancy cliche terms. It really is. What do you like to do? Let's go do it. Mm-hmm. How do we... Get away from all the stuff where you're comfortable and then just talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always joked about it. It's the articulation. Once again, it's actually articulating. Go find a, a transient person, take them to McDonald's, give them two happy meals, give them 20 bucks. They don't care what you got to say, but right. just talk to them mm-hmm. right. to actually say it out loud. Or the infamous burn letter. Write your feelings on a piece of paper. True feelings. That's the key. Your true feelings. Not, hey, this is what I... No. Write your feelings down on a piece of paper and then go burn it. I'm telling you there's not too many better feelings because you got your emotions out, what you're really feeling and guess what? You just burned it and there's something about fire. But at the same time that's no pun intended for me. But at the same time (laughs) somebody (laughs) laughed about that one. But it's just, and it's fire. I mean, I don't like to sit there and watch a fire, even though it might only be for 20 seconds when the paper burns up. Once again, it's, it's some kind of just natural relief, like ease about it. Right. And unless somebody's doing some crazy crypto, I'm going to squiggle with some, whatever, do the pencil chalk over the top of the scene. Some you've NCIS yeah. stuff. <laughs> like, I, nobody's ever going to know what you wrote. So, I mean, it's, you have to get it out, regardless of what. That's the thing. It's finding your outlet, whether it's through all those things we talked about, finding some other reason. You know, um, from my time in the military, there's a lot of operators from the special forces world that have turned to like knitting and cross stitching, mm-hmm. occupational mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. keeps their mind occupied. But that's what they do. I like to bake mm-hmm. because, and I like to bake breads because you're always having to do something. Yeah. You, you can go sit there. You got to let it prove. You go back and, mm-hmm. you know, punch it or knead it some more and then let it prove some more. But, you know, you only have about 45 minutes so you can get involved in something. Right. But then you got to go back. I like to smoke um, things on my grill mm-hmm. because, once again, I don't have a pellet. I still do it the other way, the harder way, quote unquote, harder way. Let me rephrase that. But it's occupational. It's time mm-hmm. for me. It keeps me occupied in my brain when I'm having my days. So once again, every 45 minutes, you get out there and check the tent and add some more. And it's just a constant. And then at right. the end of the day, you get something good to eat out of it too. We need to talk cooking sometime. I'm a, that's my, me too. I vent when I go home, that's my Zen time. I put a record on and, and make dinner for my wife and I just don't ask me the artistic piece has passed me by. I bake desserts and all that stuff too. Phenomenal. I just, they look like nailed it when I'm done because the artistic piece of me has passed. I make a stick figure look husky. I just, I'm not, I'm I, I, the artist. I'm just, I cannot go to the artist piece. Um, but it's at that time, I'll taste good. 
Um, just it's not going to look very appealing sometimes. But yeah, let's do it. Let's have a, let's have a cook talking show. I'm all about it. I'm in. I will say uh, to that end, I did see in this article uh, there was some talk about maybe wanting to uh, that says uh, that you love to cook mm-hmm. and maybe having a, a, a hope of opening an eater opening an eatery here in Tennessee one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what what kind of what's your favorite place around town? I guess is what I'm curious. Oh. Got any good restaurant wrecks? Not so much anymore. I, I, I yeah. don't. I mean, I got two youngins. We don't get. We That's eat fair. the same five places all the time. Um, the classics are the classics. Johnny's, Kelly's. You know the Catfish House. Mm-hmm. And Mosses. Um, you know I miss when Cumberland Grill used to be off of Madison. I miss what Frank's used to be down here off of Second. <sighs> I used to eat at Frank's every morning. I mean, it's just. That's kind of what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was going to retire, well, leading up to my retirement, I should rephrase that a little bit. Um, that, was, that was the plan. And then my wife found out that she was pregnant with our first kid and opening a small business during a newborn phase probably isn't the most brilliant um, move. And at the same time, I missed the counseling piece I had with the soldiers service members that weren't just soldiers. Um, and I, you know, we had a talk. It was like, hey, let me go to, go to school and get an official degree to do this. And I got the okay. And here I am this many years. I still would love it because I thought I still thought about it. We were ironically um, on vacation in Inverness, Scotland um, earlier that year. Mm-hmm. And we were out doing some things and we went back to the hotel to change. But a maid was, you know, cleaning our room, whatever, and we're like, hey, let's just go sit downstairs for a couple of minutes and relax. And next thing I know, 12 hours later, plus or minus, it's a joke, but we had developed our whole menu plan. Yeah. Wasted a whole day in Scotland <laughs> to plan on our menu for this restaurant. That's awesome. Um, and then, for not to be, but once I had thought about it, um, you know, it was going to be a dual thing. It was going to be half therapy, which I greasy spoon like that is therapy because your regulars are what makes it um and it was just you know it's gonna be a special the day we we're gonna do like a country of the day theme Ooh, like, like one that. day would be german one day would be uh, italian one day would be french one day would be spanish one day you know just we we're gonna and obviously it'd be burgers dogs the usual stuff love it just have a special other day from another country um, we, we had it and it was gonna be half therapeutic but uh, maybe another 10 years or something like that I'll, I'll do it again <laughs> let me know I'll be there it sounds great and then I, need, the other, I need a sous chef yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing this said and this this was I love the way this article ended which was uh, Forbes summed up his decision to return to Tennessee succinctly I miss my sweet tea yes yeah, yeah I mean once again I love I love Europe for many reasons food is phenomenal over there people are phenomenal just can't get a sweet tea, man. You know, and, and if it is at an Americanized place, it's a fountain sweet tea, and mm-hmm. that's just, you know, just, there's some things you just don't do in this world, and that's that's the top five. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a method. There's a method. Yes. And but I thought that article was actually phenomenal too. The fact that he ended it that way because, <laughs> and if you notice, it's funny. Too bad you can't put. Maybe you could post that picture. On I can. So what's funny about that picture is the irony about why that picture is so crazy is I told him while he was taking photos, like, you're going to catch me in the most messed up thing. And I just did this weird pose and they're laughing at me because that's the way all, let me rephrase that. That's how most of the media folks that captured my photo would get me. And so that's, once again, another irony behind the scenes is I actually did that on purpose. Like, (laughs) as a joke, like, hey, this is how you always catch people. And that's the one he puts. Um, <laughs> that's 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 about right. Having been a journalistic photographer, I was like, "Can't you get me like with my mouth closed and not pointing?" Yeah. And the, he took that picture specifically for that. So there's more. That's why I laugh about it. There's so many idiosyncrasies. I guess would be a nice word to put in that article that some people just would never realize. I saw a great LinkedIn. Uh, account the other day someone had highlighted and put on a like facebook post or whatever but it was this guy whose job is working for wikipedia doing photo verification and it's it said if there's a photo of you with your eyes closed and mouth open 
I know about it. <laughs> and it's it's so good, and it's just examples of horrible Wikipedia entry photos. There's a lot of good photos of yeah. me out there too, Bob. Oh yeah. I just, every other time they're doing some shots, it's just it's always an awkward one most of the time. Yeah. So that's why I just thought it was that much more hilarious, and that's why even. Um, that's Miss Vivian Wilson. She used to run the Fort Campbell Fisher House. Uh, okay. She, went to she she actually was the one that opened that first Forest Glen Fisher House in 1991. She recently retired, and that was uh, John Oast, I believe. He used to be the Army okay. Fisher House manager, um, and they were over there in Lawshall, and that's why they're both laughing because mm-hmm. of me being me. And hey, they're gonna catch us in this weird pose. And I'll shoot, I'll shoot API an email and see if we can include this in the in the recording. Uh, if not, I'll just link to the article. You should. It's a great photo. But uh, that's awesome. Uh, I did. I was curious, um, and I don't want to keep you too awful long. Um, I'm on your time. <laughs> uh, I was uh, curious. Some some things in here mentioned like crisis intervention. It sounds like a lot of what you, what you've been talking about with your job involves sort of after the fact getting a chance for people to decompress. Is there an element, I was under the impression that there was also an element of like, oh, X happened and we might want someone there for this thing that just happened. Well, that's kind of, looking for words. That is definitely a piece. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, if there's, and unfortunately, God forbid, but there's something that critical of Mm -hmm. an incident, I would show up out there just to check on folks at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, even in not so good situations, even sometimes I run into someone say, hey, how are you doing? Even though you don't want to talk, that sticks in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, someone actually reached out and said, just checking on you. How are you mm-hmm. doing? Um, there's obviously a process, per se, that one must go through throughout seeing things and observing things. Uh but a lot of times it's just going there and checking on folks. And that's part of what I do is just being seen as a member of the team. That's mm-hmm. why it's nice to be embedded. I'm not in an agency. Mm-hmm. I'm a full police department employee mm-hmm. that I can badge in places. I go out and have lunch at District 1 one day. I'll mm-hmm. eat breakfast at District 2. Mm-hmm. My office is at District 3, you know, and I specifically go to some of the special units and hang out with them. Just, once again, one, to be a member of the team. Two, to tell some jokes because that's part of what we do. But even just conversations mm-hmm. can create the difference. Sure. Um, and so, I don't know if that answers your question again. Yeah. There's always, it's, this is something we're putting from the ground up. So, that was one of the sexiest things, and that's the best word for it, about this job is it's mine. Mm-hmm. It's ours. Right. We can make this how we want to make it. I don't have to fill yeah. it on somebody's excellence and live up to that expectation, or I don't have to fill it as, fill in after somebody's not so much of excellence mm-hmm. and then be stereotyped with that. You're tailoring it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so, yes. And I love to see, and I think the city's done a really good job lately, sort of overall, but I've, I've specifically CPD as well, of finding not just doing what's required, but kind of taking that. We talked with Michelle Lau, who just came on as our new diversity inclusion officer. Similarly, that's a new position that the city's, I feel like, going the extra mile to take care of its people. And I feel like your position, and I think they, I think you were an excellent choice to kind of start building that and doing not just what's required, but what's really helpful. We at, in Clarksville have uh, done a particularly good job in what has been some times of uh, hardship, I think, for a lot of people and and heightened public awareness. And I don't know exactly what sets CPD apart. I think we could talk about accreditation. We could talk about positions to make sure that our officers are some of the best trained and also equipped both mentally and emotionally and physically to do their jobs well. But I was very excited to hear that you were coming on and kind of stepping that even further. Thank you. I mean, I'm excited. I'm still in the honeymoon phase of this, and hopefully I'll still be doing this 20 years from now in the honeymoon phase. I've, yeah, I, I got a lot of ideas. Um, 
most of them have been approved. It doesn't mean anything like they haven't not been approved. I'm just, they've been approved. They give me my freedom to mm-hmm. try to work this um, the best I can. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm excited. And um, so far, I'm loving it a minute and just trying to be a member of the team. And it's so much easier when you know and trust somebody than to just obviously go up, see somebody, you know, and I got to remember, I can't do the polar plunge. It's you got to do the baby steps as in what about Bob would say, I'm doing my baby steps. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, you should watch it. <laughs> Which movie? What about Bob? Oh, Check it out. Yes, yeah. Right. yeah. I don't think I've seen yeah. that one. If I'll you like Bill Murray. I do like Bill Murray. And yeah. It's got Richard Dreyfuss in it, if I'm not mistaken. That's his name <laughs> right. And it's a therapeutic movie. Bill Murray is a mental health patient with some conditions. And Richard Dreyfuss is a psychologist, <laughs> a psychiatrist, and his family goes on vacation and Bill Murray stalks him. And it's... <laughs> the whole time. It, it's, it's priceless and so the name of the book is called Baby Steps that the mm. psychiatrist writes and Bill Murray's like I'm baby stepping I'm doing the steps and by the end of the movie Richard Dreyfuss is the one that's yes. crazy <laughs> goodness <laughs> wonderful well this has been so nice talking to you this is I'm really excited to see where it goes and to see what you make of this program and to uh, our CPD officers out there who might be listening and your families, uh, definitely uh, keep in touch with Josh here. Uh, he sounds like – I know he's here to help you uh, and sounds like he's doing a great job. Maybe contact him and uh, have a talk over a glass of sweet tea. I like sweet tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have a good one, everybody. Thank you. Have a good one.